And good morning. This is Darren Case. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM. We are live in studio today with the band, well, most of the band, Gen Y. Good morning, Kai and Nick. Good morning, Darren. Morning. Half the band. Half the band. <laughs> the other two incognito. We also have Stefan Hossitter in the studio, as per usual. You can pretend I'm part of the band. You are part of the band. Would yes. you like to be the official Gen Y groupie for the day? Sure. Done deal. I, 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 was, I was at the last concert, so I feel like that should count. <laughs> you, you have your chops. Yeah. We're going to be doing a couple things today, but I do not want to uh, waste any undue time. So I would like to just let people know that in the middle of the program today, we're going to hear, and I, uh, I've listened to it three times now, Stefan, I think a very exceptional, very high-quality interview with Cheryl McNamara from the Citizens Climate Lobby. Uh, I know you had a chance to, uh, to listen to it a couple mm-hmm. times as I made you do re-edits on the video. <laughs> so that was exceptional. We're going to be listening to that a little bit later in the program. As per usual, we have a little bit from Kevin Farmer as well. I have a couple of additional notes I'd like to get through, which is why I want to make sure I leave some time. But first, we're going to go to the gentleman in the studio. So uh, Kai and Nick, you guys have brought us uh, today's music. Very much appreciated. You're also in here because, uh, Kai, of course, you've been in under different hats before. You're with Toronto 350, um, as among many other projects. But we also haven't spoken about any of the film stuff on air yet. So what I'm actually going to do is... I'm just handing you the mic, sir. Which of those many things would you like to talk about? Wow, sure. So I guess I'd like to start with their connections. So that's actually a great lead-in because uh, Gen Y is going to be one of the uh, contributors to the sound for the film. So we're quite excited about that. Um, The film's title is Beyond Crisis, and that emerged out of the People's Climate March. And so we're kind of using the energy of the People's Climate March, which happened uh, September 21st, uh, drew over 400,000 people to New York, but many thousands more in solidarity events around the world. But we're using that energy as a base to tell a broader story about uh, about the climate narrative and tie it into Canada. And uh, so really trying to push on that momentum and I guess that's, uh, that's a little bit of what, uh, what we do as a band as well. We're, we're a folk rock band, so we're really just trying to um, create, we, we call our music music for the spirit, and it's really about reconnecting with each other. It's about reconnecting with our world. Um, and so we, we feel that it's a, it's a really good fit for this kind of thing. And, and to me, it speaks, uh, as a singer-songwriter, it speaks to the role I feel for arts and culture. Uh, in addressing these huge challenges. so Yeah, you know, uh, that, that's a great uh, comment there, Kai. I, I definitely got into music because I felt that it has a potential to, you know, reach and communicate a message that connects us all and that it has uh, almost a responsibility to say something meaningful, you know, for sure. Responsibility. There's, well, there, we're, uh, we're talking a lot about sort of people's responsibility and the film has a lot to do with uh, an urging of people to sort of take responsibility for things. Um, perhaps then, because, Nick, we've heard so less from you, if you want to comment first, but we'll, we'll ask both of you gentlemen, what do you think your responsibilities are? Uh, you sort of answered there from the point of view as a musician, but let's just, let's just back it up to the, the, the Gen Y worldview. Sort of what do you see as your responsibility uh, to take part in, in quote-unquote, saving the planet? Yeah, I mean, it's such, an, it's such a huge um, question. There's so many possibilities. I feel like a lot of time it's very overwhelming. Um, Myself, personally, I, I do feel that uh, maybe our first role would be to give a voice and to share, uh, you know, a message that is, is felt by a lot of people, but maybe who are voiceless, and, uh, and to offer sort of a, a, you know, a figurehead, maybe speaking, but uh, to, to give it 
a face that you can uh, you can identify with. You know, back back in the '60s, that was that was the music that I grew up listening to, and and you know, you see a lot of um, the movement and the music is connected, and that's sort of what drove us to create the music to begin with. Is that we had this passion, and uh, so so the first thing is I think that we we have to have some responsibility, and, and the second thing is, um, you know, we we want to be involved and to uh, to do this film is such a great opportunity to do something concrete. Um, and I think a lot of times people have an issue with, you know, I feel a certain way, but how do I actually make something concrete come of it? And, uh, you know, part of what we're going to do with this film is, is definitely to give people lots of options and, and to see there's, there's many things. And, and for me, for sure, it, it comes back to, um, you know, it's, it's all very well and good for us to, you know, wash in cold water and use, and use all these, uh, you know, personal um, efficiencies and things like that. But at the end of the day, we really need to put pressure on our government to step up and to, uh, you know, take a bigger role and to be a leader you know, globally, I think that that's something that we used to be, um, you know, looking back, you know, 10 years ago, Canada had a really great reputation. I'm not so sure about where we stand now without, you know, you know, a lot of uh, things have changed. So I think that we have a lot of uh, great qualities here. I'm very proud to be a Canadian. And I think that our, our legacy is one that we choose and we, we need to step up and, and make that. Mm. So, Kai, if I can give you a bit of a lead-in for yours. We're, the first question I ask uh, Cheryl when we go to her interview after the break, she's from the Citizens Climate Lobby, of course, and so they're citizens who lobby government. Uh, and one of the things that I liked about that, even though I didn't ask her, was the idea that I see sort of what we do here on this radio program is kind of lobbying the public to do anything, really, like that's step one. <laughs> Please do <laughs> something. <laughs> Please do something. Care at all. And, and, you know, it's that baseline kind of like, hey, this stuff matters. Do something. Find something that suits for you. Would you maybe comment on that component, right? Because for people to be involved with Citizens Climate Lobby, they have to feel like there's something they should be doing. And, and then I think that's an exceptional opportunity of a way to do thing. Another group, of course, uh, I would be going blue in the face if I mentioned every time Toronto 350 as far as another group that I thought was doing good things. There are many options depending on what your chosen path might be or, or the type of group that, that suits you and your abilities and your desires. But talk to us about step one. Talk to us about getting people to care in the first place. Yeah, so I think that that's a fantastic question, uh, partly because like it speaks to my own personal philosophy, also the one of the large uh, philosophies of this film, which is that there are many legitimate ways to respond to crisis. And I think uh, far too often, uh, you know, when society is in a state of stress or when it's in a state of crisis, um, you know, there, there's folks out there who will try to tell you there's, o- there's only one way to respond to this. But we know that there's no silver bullet to address the climate crisis. And so I think that's where I see a diversity of responses and that type of pluralism that was evident in the march as being so important. Um, and I think it's also one of the most important ways to engage, uh, you know, a broader audience in the general public is to not ignore the arts, to not... Um, you know, act as if as if just giving that simple uh, platform for voice doesn't matter, uh, because it does. Often in in states of of I would say cultural oppression, um, you know, people do feel more and more like even if you can't put words to it, like your own voice, there's no room for it, um, and it really doesn't matter, and you just got to go through the daily grind. And so I think that you know I I agree with Nick that. Um, you know, while I celebrate all different forms of art um, and and response, uh, I also think that you know we we do have to respond to the times that we're living in, and so to use our art as a as a path is I think uh, it, just one of many great ways to engage. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, so what I'd like to do, we're going to go in a minute to our first music break, which of course was your guys' song. We said we're going to do Bang Bang, right? I think that's the that's the first one. Okay. So before we go to that, um, Stefan, I actually want to turn to you, which I don't usually do this early in the program. This is true. Uh, but you wrote a piece for Alternative Journal on this very topic. Mm-hmm. I wondered if this would be an appropriate time for you to make a, a comment of, on about what your comments were from that point of view. Yeah. So... Um Sort of, yeah, a couple pieces. It was largely about uh, what I was writing for Alternative Journal was about activism and sort of what it me- meant to be an activist and sort of what I learned from sort of doing going through the motions of getting people to come out to uh, the People's Climate March uh, and, and sort of getting that sort of other side of activism. And what it came down to really was it's it's really all about just but showing up. Like if you just go somewhere and then you're like in a like it's it's it has a momentum of itself to like I, what I've I've always ragged on people for saying things like you know just get involved because that's the most useless piece of information because it tells them nothing it doesn't get, it doesn't get it doesn't do anything <laughs> um, if you if if you switch to get involved to here's a meeting go to it they have snacks. Uh, I more think people will come if you tell them we have punch and pie. Sorry, that more people will. It's there's one thing that's true. It is that if you ever are in university and need to eat, go go care about something. They'll feed you. Um, it's uh, like it's so like so really what it came down to the piece was really just about how activism is just is way easier than everyone thinks it is and is way more human than everyone thinks it is. It's not this weird shadowy figure of people who you don't understand. It's people who actually just decided to go to a meeting. And then talk about it. And that's here, and that's here. literally it. <laughs> you you can do more, but you can you can quote unquote get involved by showing up. Yes. Well, well I think it, it, it just leads to it, right? If mm-hmm. the, the, if you just pick one meeting to go to, the next when you're at that meeting, someone will say something. You're like, oh, I could do that, mm. and then that's where it starts. Awesome. I I think let's break it there. So this will be Gen Y with Bang Bang. We'll be right back. This is Darren Kayster, host of The Green Majority. Green Majority is now so much more than just a radio show. You can learn more about what we're doing and find out how to support us at greenmajority.ca. Now is it you or I engage? 
Others just say goodbye How some people let go Others just cling, you know Bang, bang, you make the call Is it you or I who falls? Bang, bang, still standing tall Why is my back against the wall? We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here in CIUT 89.5 in Toronto. You might also be listening to us on one of our wonderful radio syndicates somewhere across the country. We have at least 18. Uh, then you also could be listening to us on a podcast. It could be 2036 and climate change has already been saved. Isn't that an interesting thought? Someone could very well be listening to this on a podcast after this has all been sorted out. <laughs> wow, I just blew my own mind. Uh, all right, so... Uh, that was Bang Bang again uh, with Gen Y. And Kai, well, remind folks the uh, the website they can go to look for this stuff. Absolutely. GenYMusic.com. Awesome. So what we're going to do now is uh, we, I want to go to the uh, Cheryl McNamara interview. Um, it's not terribly long, um, but I thought she absolutely nailed it. And I think it, it has a lot of things in it that I would like to then ask you gentlemen to comment on. Uh, so we're going to go to that first. So Cheryl McNamara is um, the leader of the local chapter of the Citizens Climate Lobby. Um, she's an exceptional speaker, and I had a great opportunity to talk to her. Um, we were pulling this, of course, we had this as a, as a YouTube interview, which mm-hmm. is great. So make sure that you go and check out. Uh, the, the version on YouTube is slightly longer. I just edited this sort of for radio. Uh, but if you want to hear the full interview uh, and listen to her like body language really sell these, uh, mm-hmm. what she's saying, uh, definitely go to the YouTube channel. You'll find that off greenmajority.ca. But uh, because of we did it that way, I'm, I actually have uh, I have written questions here for, uh, to address 
the ones she had. So the first clip, she's going to be responding directly to my first question, essentially, which was to explain the nature of her group in the first place. Why do citizens need lobbyists? When we think of our democracy, we think of exercising our right to vote, and that's very important. But um, I, th I think that it's important, especially when the stakes are very high with an issue like climate change, where we really need to take it to the next level. And um, Citizens Climate Lobby uh, uses a methodology that uh, has been taken from an organization called Results. And they've been around since 1980, and their mandate is to mitigate uh, poverty and hunger worldwide. And they've been very su successful. They have um, uh, worked on a methodology that focuses on key objectives, like key pieces of legislation that they push on. And so they work at that level. But their job is to create political will. So it's very powerful uh, to be in a room with your representative to speak one-on-one, -on -one, um, as you can imagine, is a lot more powerful than writing a letter um, or just simply voting. Um, so uh, that's very important, but it's also important to build political will. And one of the things that we do is we work with the media. So we write letters to the editor, which we send to our representatives, say, see here, <laughs> uh, this is what's happening in your district, or this is what's happening, you know, out there. Um, and we also work with um, editorial boards of newspapers as well to get them on board with a particular piece of policy. And that's really important because whenever they write an editorial, it's the voice of the paper, and that could be very, very powerful as well. So, um, and I also just want to add, um, right now, we are vastly outnumbered by the number of paid lobbyists out there that are advancing industry needs, particularly oil and gas. I mean, there was a, a report that came out at the Polaris Institute about two years ago that showed that um, oil and gas lobbying outnumbered lobbying by NGOs by something like 463%. Like, it was ridiculous. And that that lobbying is increasing, has increased actually quite substantially, both in the United States and Canada since 2008. A lot of it pushing for the pipelines, of course. Um, when I was in Washington for the very first time in 2011, um, I was asked as a Canadian to go down to lobby Congress and the Senate. And of course, that was, the, 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 the prospect of doing that was felt quite daunting. Um, we were also asked by our American counterparts to lobby the World Bank, specifically the Canadian, uh, the office of the Canadian Executive Director. And um, uh, my knee-jerk reaction was, oh, okay. But I thought, this is silly. You know, we have to get our heads around Congress and the Senate. And um, we did do a, a invitation or a request, rather, to uh, the Canadian office of the World Bank, asking for a meeting. And then I had, you know, second thoughts, and I suggested let's not do it. Let's, let's not meet with them. Um, well, what if they respond back? You know, what are you saying? We say, well, circumstances have changed and, and we just can't meet with you. Well, sure enough, they came back and said, yes, you know, we'd like to grant you a meeting. And um, I went back to, you know, the person who scheduled the meeting and I said, we shouldn't do this. They came back and they said, no, we really want to meet with you. So we were intrigued, of course. Like the World Bank actually wants to meet with us. <laughs> so when we we did our due diligence, we did our homework, uh, and we prepared. And when we got in, uh, the fellow who we met with very diplomatically said, they get a lot of meetings from companies and industry, a lot of meetings. They rarely meet with civil society groups. 
And, you know, up until then, there was a lot of um, uh, controversy around the World Bank, just in terms of how it was handling its money, its expectations of, um, you know, uh, countries of the global south, uh, neoliberal policy. I, I was not impressed with the World Bank. Um, but... Um, and I, it was an indication, I think, that civil society groups had bowed out. But when you're not at the table, basically industry rushes in, right? And I think you could probably say the same at certainly our federal level, um, you know, when we're working with our representatives. If we're not meeting with our representatives, well, guess who is? So, you know, we, we, we really need to counter balance that because citizens have a big voice. We really do. They really want to hear from us. And one of the things that we're hearing a lot is we don't hear enough from our constituents on this issue. Um, so even if it's writing a letter or an email or a phone call, what have you, it's all very important. Um, but I think that there is something very powerful of citizens sitting down and working with their uh, lawmaker to, to make change. And then they can guide us you know, we have champions of climate change that are helping us guide us through the system. So, uh, in terms of <laughs> yeah, the issue of there we are. That's all right. Maybe um, if we um, we can back you know, that one up. I think there we go. Uh, so that was the first question. So we talked a little bit about what the need for a. Uh, lobby is. The second thing that I was talking to her about was the kind of influence that lobbyists have in, in Canada, right? So um, there's a, a need for lobbyists, because lobbyists really just means someone who's going to be going and talking to members of government. It usually implies that they're paid for it, although obviously in Citizens Climate Lobby, this is not the case. So I wanted to ask her sort of what, what these newly awakened citizen lobbyists might be up against. What sort of in power and influence does the industry lobby have in Canada? The paid lobbyists in Canada are focused at the government side, and they're talking to like the, at the ministerial level. I doubt very much that they're going after, you know, the backbencher MPs or MPs that have different portfolios. It's a very different system in Canada than the United States. Um, so that's happening beyond the average MP's control. Uh, in terms of some MPs, uh, a lot of MPs, uh, they're concerned about climate change, but it's not, they have like a myriad of issues that they're dealing with, right? And they're just going to allow them, usually, from what I understand, is that they're going to uh, listen to the loudest issue, you know, uh, particularly in the riding, but of course they have to deal with whatever uh, the party side and, you know, what's, whatever the dominant issue is of the day as well. Um, so that's what they're going to listen to. Now, there are some MPs who are big champions of climate change. They, they, they've, they decide to run for office because of the issue. And they eagerly, you know, gravitate towards us and, you know, guide us through the system. Uh, the United States, the system is, is very different, of course. Um, each uh, legislature is surrounded by a whole bunch of policymakers. They're the ones who can um, uh, introduce bills, as can, you know, Canadian MPs, but it's a very different environment. And um, sometimes you have key congressional districts where there's going to be particular lobbying, or particularly if they are on a, on a specific um, House committee, um, they are going to be very much lobbied, and um, they can accept. I just, it, it, I, it, <laughs> sorry, I'm just flabbergasted 
uh, that the United States, you know, with Citizens United, uh, that uh, piece of legislation that allows uh, Congress people and senators to be paid by industry, um, and, and uh, it basically um, they're, they're being bought, right? They're being bought in the United States, um, and it's pretty clear just in terms of you know, what they're going to be voting for. If, if they're getting a lot of money from the oil and gas sector, well, guess what they're going to do? They are going to, you know, pass legislation in favor of the oil and gas sector. That's just what's going to happen. In Canada, I think we have a government that believes that we need to focus on our resource sector and that we have a, there's a free trade you know, it's okay to, to ensure that manufacturing uh, happens uh, overseas if it provides a cheaper product. It's just part of their, their um, overall um, philosophy, ideology, really. I think that's what's behind it. And then the very last thing that I asked Cheryl was my inner cynic coming out, but I think it's a really important question, and I loved her answer so much. I asked Cheryl... How, how, much, how much of a chance do we really have with so much money stacked against us if that's how the system works? Uh, well, I, I should hope that that's, uh, you know, a big shot in the arm for democracy, right? Um, and, yeah, I mean, obviously they're self-serving, and, and, and they would be, you know, and it's not just self-serving for them, it's for their shareholders as well. Uh, that's what they're going to do. Um, it's incredibly important uh, for government, I think, uh, to really reach, ensure that they're reaching out to civil society groups and to citizens. Um, citizens Climate Lobby is basically a whole bunch of organized citizens. Um, you could, we're definitely a, a civil society organization, um, but we are a voice of very concerned citizens, much like Results was as well. So, um, uh, you know, and we're very... We listen to the scientists, we, we educate ourselves on the issue, and we uh, find out you know, what would be the most effective policy moving forward for now. Um, so yeah, we're very well informed, um, very well educated, and, and, and well organized. So um, I think we're going to win. <laughs> you know, you have to be very optimistic. Uh, and, and, and I think we should win, you know, for the health of our democracy. I positively loved her answer to that. That was Cheryl, Mac Cheryl McNamara from the Citizens Climate Lobby. She is amazing, and I recommend that you, A, check out the slightly longer version of that interview. You can do that on our YouTube uh, page, uh, which is just uh, YouTube slash user slash green, the Green Majority. Easiest way to find it, though, because links to all of our plethora of multimedia uh, is all at greenmajority.ca. So if you just go there, you'll find links to our YouTube and all of our other channels and the Instagram, where there's a hilarious picture from this last week of Stefan wearing a combination Santa slash Inspector Clouseau hat. I wasn't quite really sure I don't what know, that it had was. had a belt on it, which also made me think sort of like, you know, the pilgrims with the belts. It could be, yeah. I don't know. But it was exceptional. with that hat. It was an exceptional photo. So for, if for no other reason, greenmajority.ca to see a picture of Stefan in a funny hat. Uh, we are going to go to one uh, final music break now um so gentlemen why don't why don't one of you introduce this song we'll go to it and then we'll come back and we'll chat with you some more sure this is uh i guess i, I would say a, a beautiful little folk piece on our album written by uh, mila uh petkovich who could not be here today and uh yeah enjoy it's called this tree this is Darren Kayster, host of The Green Majority. Green Majority is now so much more than just a radio show. You can learn more about what we're doing and find out how to support us at greenmajority.ca. All right, we'll be right back. 
All right, we're back here in that final home stretch, a little bit earlier than usual, actually. We, we made good time through that early section here, so we're just just over halfway through the program, and we still have tons of stuff to do. I'm in an unprecedentedly packed studio. In the studio, there are five mics. In the studio, I have five people. That has never before happened here on The Green Majority. Breaking new records every single week. Uh, we also, based on the, my knowledge of the folks sitting here, we may also have a critical mass of sarcasm building as we speak. <laughs> Um, but there we are. You're listening to The Green Majority here at uh, live at CIUT 89.5 FM, possibly on one of our radio syndicates or on a podcast, or maybe you're listening uh, through uh, your tinfoil hat. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kevin, that was for you. So what we're going to do without further ado um, is to uh, – we're going to go to Kevin. You have a thought. And then I want to just simply build off that thought. So we're basically going to uh, we're going to go to Kevin Farmer here for for his uh, punditry for the week a little bit early, and then we're just going to break out to general discussion. So uh, uh, Kevin Farmer, the floor is yours. Okay. So hi everyone. Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet then. Um, you know, still still the the major issue, right? This, the major ongoing news would be the the aftermath of the COP twenty uh, conference in Lima. Uh, I, I didn't say so much about it last week because it was actually still underway uh, on Friday. It, uh, it was supposed to conclude on Friday, and we air in the morning, but still it went into extra set, extra innings uh, as, uh, as people had, as negotiators had failed to reach an agreement by Friday. So they actually uh, uh, continued negotiating through Saturday and, and into Sunday before um, uh, agreeing to something. <laughs> Let's call it something. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm not going to do an autopsy on this. I think Elizabeth May. Uh, Elizabeth May's comment might be the most appropriate. She said she was blogging from Lima the whole week, and she said essentially it's better than nothing, and and maybe it is, um, but it it ain't much better than nothing. What uh, what we what we seem to ha- we don't have binding targets, and it looks like we will not have binding targets. What we seem to have is almost more um, aspirational goals, where the um, the parties will agree to publish. Um, uh, plans and strategies to reduce emissions, not by any set amount below any set benchmark, just some, you know, almost aspirational goal to reduce uh, uh, emissions. So, you know, uh, I've said this many times, and I'm going to keep saying this uh, as long as I'm on this show. What we what we absolutely don't have is some notion that there is a budget of carbon, um, a, 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 a total inventory of carbon that the atmosphere can absorb, and we're going to say that's the limit. We're not, contextuali- <clears throat> excuse me, we're not contextualizing these negotiations in terms of some limit and saying, given that we have this limit, after which we are going to be dealing with irreversible, intolerable impacts from climate change. Given that we have this limit, how do we um, portion this limit up fairly amongst the countries, the, the countries of the world, and then not exceed that limit? How do we just get to zero carbon within the time or the carbon budget that we have uh, and that's that's the conversation that's not taking place. And 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 if that if we're not having that discussion, uh, we're probably. I mean, you, progress is progress. You can't say no to progress. But this isn't about politics. This isn't about economics. This is about chemistry. And it's like if you're on a ship and the ship is sinking, you need to bail water. How much water? Enough to stay afloat. It's not about how much water you feel like bailing. It's not about how it's not about uh, how much water someone else is bailing, really. Although it, it might be to some extent, but the issue is you've got to start bailing water. And there's kind of a, you know, it's it's not about how good you feel about bailing or how politically expedient it is to, to bail. And Canada's position 
has been up until now and essentially still is. Uh, I deny the existence of water. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not going to bail until other countries start bailing. In the meantime, we want to sell them water. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so that's what we have. And, and I just want to my, – my thing this week is uh, really that um, uh, the only opposition MP to attend the conference was Elizabeth May. The NDP and the Liberals, for all of their posturing on the environment and the climate file, they did not send a delegate – the, the federal, at the federal level, they did not send a delegate. Uh, Leona Gluka was, of course, there as our um, ostensibly our minister of the environment, our federal minister of the environment, and we know, we know she didn't go there to accomplish anything, accomplish anything proactive. <laughs> um, so the, I mean, the, I mean, seriously, no other MP, no other opposition MP went, and these are grueling. Elizabeth May was there as, a, as an observer. She wasn't part of the negotiations, but these are grueling marathon sessions. <coughs> Excuse me. She was blogging the whole time. She's she. I just you know if if people are close to their Twitter accounts today and just feel like doing something, this is my ask for this week. Uh, Elizabeth May's handle is just at Elizabeth May on Twitter. Uh, just thank her. Just send Elizabeth May a thanks for being the only federal MP who is working on your behalf in in your interests on literally. The, the single most important, most urgent issue of our time. I, I want to add an add to that, Kevin, which is something really important I'd like to put a fine point on, which is that we are not asking you to tweet at Elizabeth May and thank her for negotiating essentially on behalf of Canada because you intend to vote for the Green Party or because you endorse Elizabeth May for, for prime minister or any of those other nonsense things. What I suggest you do if you do not wish to vote for the Green Party is why don't you go ahead and add, add, tag your MP on that tweet as well and maybe add why weren't you there. Yeah. This isn't about support for the Green Party. This is about the only individual person who's making any attempt to make any progress on our behalf. And I think that is what you're asking for. Not, yeah, not to be confused to, yeah. for blank, blank uh, support for the Green Party, but thanking her personally for taking initiative to yeah, take action. Yeah, I was action. trying to be clear about that. And, uh, like, I've stumped for the Green Party in the past. I've been very upfront about that over the years. I'm not now. I'm not a Green Party member. I'm not ruling out that I will be in the future, and, I will, and I'm not ruling out that I might stump for Elizabeth May in the future. I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not active in any way, shape, or form. This is not a political endorsement. I've been as critical of Elizabeth May for the, her weirdly nuanced position on pipelines as I have been with every other party that's trying to take a weirdly nuanced position on pipelines. Like, they're not all piping carbon somewhere. <laughs> somehow, they're, somehow the, you know, depending on which direction they're headed, the, the, the ultimate carbon that comes out the other end and into the atmosphere has some sort of different chemical value. I did actually come up with a hashtag for you, Kevin. Oh, good. What is it? Well, because, uh, because part of this idea is that Elizabeth May is a bit of a force of nature. Mm. A like, hashtag like is hashtag May the Force. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I knew that we could leave it with Stefan. Always there when we need you. So here is what, first of all, just say that again in case people missed it. Hashtag May the Force. I, I urge, I insist, in fact, I nay, I demand that everyone near a smartphone who's not currently in traffic... Go ahead and do that right now. For, for the reasons we were just saying, this has nothing to do with partisan politics. This has everything to do with thanking someone who's actually trying to do something on your behalf, regardless of who you think should be running this government. This has nothing to do with partisan politics. This should be the least partisan issue on earth. We all breathe, we all drink, we all eat. I think most of us would like to live into our old age without developing cancer or other weird diseases. We would like a sustainable economy that's going to last into the future and isn't based on destroying the resources that it uses. This, the, the two, the two, the, one of the greatest uh, uh, coups of anti-environmental forces 
has been it, not that there's like some nefarious agency called the anti-environmental force, but <laughs> you blew our cover. <laughs> but one of the greatest coups is that this has become a special interest. It has become partisan. And, you know, you hear journalists, they will, you know, journalists and moderators on current affairs shows, if, if a topic has an environmental angle, they won't touch it because that would be advocacy. You know, they'll say, okay, what would be the, what would be the impact of this on the economy? What would be the impact of this on foreign relations? What would be the impact of this on, you know, whatever community? Uh, and maybe that, maybe that community might be in the moment environmentalists. But they themselves will not ask an informed environmental question. Maybe they're not informed at all. But that would be advocacy. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be. It, this should be as obvious as saying, what does this mean to my economy? What does this mean to my country? What does this mean to my you know, job prospects? We're saying, what does this mean to my air, my water, my food, and this stable climate that, might, that civilization might not be able to function without? And, and it's just, it's just, it's just, they just confused and informed informed questions for advocacy and you have to have an environmentalist on the show to ask that question and that's just been this stunning coup in in public perception that the environment is somehow a special interest of self-identified environmentalists and and that somehow it's partisan and it ranges i mean it although it does if you look at our spectrum from left to right (laughs) environmental awareness does range uh from left to right but it's but it but from the point of view of the public this just isn't a, a political issue, and it just shouldn't be. And it's a tragedy that that it's been framed that way. All right. So I, <clears throat> excuse me, we have uh, we have just about eighteen minutes here. So I'm, I'd I'd like to play a little game. Uh, what we're going to do? I'm going to go first uh, to buy Nick a minute to think because we're going to go to Nick last, and then Kevin Farmer needs is going to need the most time to think about this, so he's going to go last. I'm going to ask everybody to contribute because we're getting close to the holiday uh, season here and uh, the skies are getting darker. I want to try and bring a little light into the end of this, uh, this radio program. So I'm going to, I, I wanted to just think about some things that despite all of this negativity, some things that maybe we could look forward to for next year. <clears throat> and the reason I wanted to, to do that, I know Kai's really excited about this. Um, the reason I wanted to do that is because there, there have been some interesting thoughts that I've been having recently. Uh, one of them is about how, despite and frustrating all of this progress at the international level has been, um, I think that the critical factor here, what it is, is, is putting a line on the fact that we, regardless of how we uh, legislate and, and, and regulate and run our cities and countries and provinces and states and all these things, um, it, for, from a simple management point of view, we need to have those boundaries. That makes sense. It's a, it's a managerial sector. Um, but as far as, you know, citizen of Canada and citizen of U.S. and citizen of Bahamas and citizen of whatever, I think those are increasingly getting less relevant as we now have global impact, the ability to travel globally. And what hasn't caught up is thinking globally in the sense, not just even in the sense of our economies, but in the sense of our global citizenship and that we're humans first, Canadians second. So I think this, despite the urgency with which we are addressing this, I think that this has an opportunity to raise the level of consciousness to 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 provide a, a forcing mechanism to hopefully push this sort of thinking further that will have a cascade effect through not only this issue but other issues. Um, I have more, but I'm going to leave it there. Nick, I would like to give you an opportunity, and then we'll go to Kai. Yeah, you know, I th- thanks, uh, Darren. I thought, uh, you know, Kevin, you made a great point there. Um, it, it's, it seems to me that we're very much influenced by marketing and censorship today in, in any discussion on, uh, you know, in mass media, marketing and censorship have a huge role. Um, and, and I think that, that you brought up a really good point about how it's really important to uh, engage through the media, to, to even to reach out through letters to the editor and to, uh, to reach out to your members of parliament. 
Um, an interesting stat that I'd like to share with you is that um, it hasn't always been the case, but currently there's about approximately four PR uh, people per each journalist. So that goes to show you a little bit um, of the marketing that, uh, you know, lobbyists and, and things like that. It's, it's, it's really uh, just a paid advertisement. It's not really unbiased, you know. And, uh, and, and relating to censorship, you know, I think censorship shows a lot of what each government doesn't want you to know. And, uh, you know, for, for example, various, you know, governments around the world will censor political dissent and things like that. In Canada, our government chose to censor 70 pages from a scientific research paper on climate change and to uh, black out large portions of the report. This is after making the, the, you know, publicly funded, unbiased scientific commission rewrite the report to begin with. And then they chose to censor it heavily afterwards. Um, you know, I think it, it comes back to another a key point that you brought up, which is that we should put humans first, politics second. Um, you know, partisanship and dogma, uh, I feel, are enemies of progress. And, and I'd like to see more science, not just politics or economics, and, and to make decisions based on science when it comes to cli climate action. Um, you know, the lobby industry is so huge, and, and that's why citizens groups are so important, and uh, an engagement of you know, everyday people that we all do care. You know, I think, you know, the, the green majority is the show that we're on today, and I think that is a reality. I think most people are pretty passionate, especially in Canada. You know, we are proud of our, of our environmental, uh, you know, history, and, and it's not necessarily reflected in our current practices. Um, you know, we have to care. You know, people have given their lives so that we have the ability to make, you know, an, uh, an informed decision and to have some impact over our, you know, our, our country. Uh, you know, I have lots of friends who even survive working on the pipelines, and they're, you know, they tell me they're torn because they, they personally, they feel... Uh, very passionate about the environment, but that's you know there's there's money in it. And it's they're supporting a family, so uh, you know when you're when you're fighting for survival, sometimes it's hard to think of these higher uh, concepts. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know green initiatives aren't subsidized uh, quite as, as heavily as, as a lot of the oil industry is, and uh, they have the potential to create not just new jobs but whole new industries that are much more sustainable in the long term. Um, you know, I, I would say the risk and opportunity go hand in hand. Um, and, and, and it's not just a sacrifice that we're talking about, but it's something new and exciting that can be even better, you know? Um, I, I would point to guys like Elon Musk. I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, the guy he, he's uh, created. He grew up, he started off with PayPal, and then he went to uh, SolarCity and uh, Tesla, SpaceX. Mm -hmm. um, just a brilliant inventor. Um, even locally here in Toronto, I mean, there's uh, my good friend here, Kai, has a startup called Do Better Creative, which is looking at... Uh, ma making uh, climate action and business not enemies, but to actually harmonize and to be uh, a for-profit business that also does, uh, you know, ethical and uh, and behaves in a way that uh, you know is in line with yeah, the values. Media and design work. <coughs> and uh, you know, a great op great other uh, organizations like the Citizens Climate Lobby, 350.org. Uh, you know, just in reality, all we need to do is to be engaged and passionate and just stay that way. You know, um, I'll, I'll leave it there. I guess. All right, Kai, floor is yours. Yeah, so I'd like to, I guess, uh, respond to your call for a little bit of light in the uh, in the darkening holiday season. That was just for you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, I, I think one of my for, for those who have seen the uh, the film Disruption just prior to the People's Climate March, I think my favorite phrase from that that stuck to me. I don't remember the woman who was speaking, but. Uh, she said it very well, which is, um, you know, in the face of all these issues, how do you stave off depression? Well, one of the ways that's uh, that seemed to have proven itself historically time and time again, to stave off depression, you get to work. And so I think that that's, uh, 
That's one of the things that uh, that we do need to do. That's certainly one of the things that gives me um, joy and momentum and, uh, I guess, faith in life uh, is, is simply putting my muscle where my mouth is or where my where my values are trying to push in that direction in some way um if that made sense <laughs> so i, I want to make a small plug for uh a couple campaigns in the new year that i think uh you know we should be looking out for that i, I believe will shed a little bit of light um one of them that uh, i've helped to start uh we're still playing around with name choices but for now i'll call it step it up canada um, and that is building out of the COP20 uh, negotiations and, and that whole reality that we've been left with. I believe I have this date right, but um, uh, and maybe, Kevin, you can, if, if, you, if you can confirm this, that's great. But uh, I, I believe one of the outcomes of COP20 was setting a firm date of March 21st for when countries actually had to have commitments uh, on the table uh, for COP21. So now I'd I'd have to collaborate. It, it's like a, that, there's like a six month <clears throat> deadline. It could be that exact date. They have about six months to okay. to, to get these uh, to published, and then I guess to, to allow for sort of like side channel negotiations in the lead up to Paris. Yeah. So I guess uh, regardless of the exact date, there's a sense of urgency even before COP21, and I think that that window kind of helps give us a push because even a year can seem like a long time for some people from the perspective of advocacy. So what we're doing with our campaign is to actually really try to push uh, public presentation, public outreach into the community that goes beyond just, I guess, speaking in the echo chamber. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually doing a training session uh, tonight with uh, uh, and uh, as creative director of Toronto 350 with, uh, you know, about half a dozen uh, people or so. But we're hoping to blow this up in a big way. We have already 30 or more involved the campaign. Um, I guess I would say for anyone listening that uh, what we're trying to do with this campaign is make it as accessible as possible. Uh, you know, we're hoping to do presentations everywhere from universities to town halls to uh, really, you know, try to collect both the climate and labor movement to speaking, really speaking to a diversity of different audiences who are of uh, mostly appealing to potential voters and uh, trying to influence key ridings in the GTA. So uh, what I would say, anybody can do this, right? And again, as Stefan started at the beginning, uh, it really just takes taking that first step. We've kind of put together a whole package that anyone can pick up take out there and you know really I think just talking about these issues publicly uh, outside of our own echo chambers is just so important so I'll mm -hmm. leave it at that yeah uh, for more info on that obviously toronto350.org uh, or you can email me kai at toronto350.org mm -hmm. and if you want yeah. you can send us any links you want mm -hmm. to have on the show post as well we, we like to make sure that uh, anything we discuss on the show that is on the show post so just go ahead and send me anything that we'll, we'll get it up great uh, Stefan you're second to last year we've, but we've bought Kevin as much time as possible to think of something positive <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna alright I'm gonna go uh, where, where I usually go as, as Kevin as Kevin laughs his, his way through this, um, which is which which comes down to where I usually go to find uh, positiveness, which is at the very very local, very very community level. And what gives me what actually what actually makes me most positive is seeing the ideas that are happening and are working right now that are drawing people in who are are you know people call them the mushy middle, but they're just people who are living their lives. 
Uh, like, you know, when you see something like the Toronto Tool Library... Sorry, I just want to say, Mushy Middle always irritated me because it, it makes it sound like those are the weird people that haven't made up their minds. But that's a good thing. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, Mushy Middle, is, it's a weird term for it, but it's like, but, you know, it's, it's the people... I, I think it more, honestly, is the people who are living their lives who have, you know, other responsibilities, like children, um, and just don't have the time to sort of spend, you know, days going out to climate activism stuff. And so what I... So what I so where I, where I want to draw attention to is a sort of... I've, I've seen a lot of small grassroots uh, community building sort of projects really start to take off over the last year. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's part of it just be getting more involved in the community, but at the same time, it, there's there's so many little cool things you can find now, like even sort of like the pop-up market that was at CSI last last time, and people respond so positively to these sort of things. It's like, oh, you you want to, it's, it's, it's once you can actually give someone the solution, uh, rather than just telling them there's something wrong, uh, that's, I think, I think that's the difference, and that's what we were seeing on the local level, is that you're seeing all these people being like, look, here are the solutions, let's just do this. And people are like, yeah, I would love to do that. Um, and someone said it uh, recently, really well, I have no idea who this person said, but basically they were, they were putting on, on it, when you scale it up, uh, the idea basically is that if we don't solve the climate process, or climate, the climate crisis, it's not because we didn't have a lack of solutions, it's because of lack of will. And I think that's a much easier problem to solve uh, than, you know, if the problem was we need to invent something to save us, then, yeah, then we have a very big issue. If it's we need to convince people to use these things, I think people are, are, are primed for that. And we're so for this one positive, I think we're heading in the right direction. You can see that on the local level. And I think it's only a matter of time before it scales up to national, international. Yeah, and I think just as a as a quick addendum before we go to, to Kevin's final uh, comment on that was that I think that's the biggest sort of uh, a strength and also b weakness of the quote unquote the other side. It's their strength in the sense that it's it's fairly easy when you have a much bigger microphone um, to to cloud the issue so that so that these solutions aren't clear. Um, and but I think that's their greatest weakness because if your best argument is yeah, but I don't like your plan, um, that's a pretty bad argument and it shows the weakness of your position and so i think that really what we re really just need to do is keep doing what we are doing which was keep promoting the solutions don't I, I think we spend a little bit too much time if i can soapbox again for a moment i think we spend a little bit too much time and energy trying to demonize the people who are against us they might be against us because they're bought and paid for they might be against us because they didn't uh, aren't familiar with the science they might be dishonest they might simply be misinformed and good honest people that we could convince and bring over to our side there's a number of reasons but i think it's a waste of energy i think we need to be activating the people that just need this information, get that, that information, get them on our side, is a far better use of our time and energy. With that, four and a half minutes, Kevin Farmer. Well, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. Uh, listening to Stefan, I'm always reminded that I am not a good person. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kevin. And, and Stefan really is. And I know Stefan believes in a, in a, a a human species that is good and cooperative. <laughs> uh, I know he believes that. It's uh, my he, greatest fault. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm much more on the fence on that issue. Um, you know, I, I agree with a lot of things that have been said. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, it, the, uh, the 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 great line is the Stone Age didn't end because we ran out of stone. <laughs> we uh, we came up with something better, and uh, the Carbon Age will not end. Uh, God help us if it ends only if we run out of carbon. Um, but it, it it doesn't it it won't. It, as Seven said, it's not for a lack of solutions. It's for it's for a lack of will. Um, and and I, I I can I can agree with that entirely. So, uh, but I read I read altogether too much news um, to be overly optimistic about our chances. Mm. And I, I would say you know we 
people people need to buy into this and and you know the the these this I've said this before, but you know this um, this vague notion that of everyone just making some small positive incremental change in their life. I don't see that that's going to work out for us. I really don't. It could. Things take off. Things go viral, as we say. Um, but uh, I just don't see that happening. I don't see us becoming a virtuous avalanche of positive change that is going to overwhelm and outpace the crisis. I just don't see that. Could happen. Don't want to rule it out. Don't want to discourage anyone from taking incremental positive change in their life. Uh, and working towards, you know, like recycling. Yeah. Yay. Let's all recycle. That's, that's great. But, but it just, it isn't coordinated. It isn't directed. Uh, I, I think it's, we've said this on the show before, you need to engage, especially with the climate crisis, you need to engage with politicians. You need to write to them. You need to join your local writing association and just, and just overwhelm people with your numbers. Uh, if you, if this is your issue, you need to, you just need to engage and you need to do it between election cycles. Uh, and, you know, we've got we're running short on time. Uh, you know, uh, also, Stephen Harper is polling just a little too high for me to be optimistic <laughs> about our chances for action on climate change. <clears throat> but, you know, increase uh, a talking point that gets trotted out over and over and over again, especially by Stephen Harper, um, who will not levy a job killing carbon tax that doesn't actually kill jobs because apparently he's in favor of an economy killing climate change. Um, so we we keep we keep getting presented with this false dichotomy of the choice that is between the environment and the economy, and and it isn't the way things are going right now. We can have both, or we can have neither. We can have a we can have a stable climate and a functioning economy and hopefully a functioning civilization, or or we can we can choose to prioritize um, an economy based on emissions and and uh, and environmental destruction. Uh, and in which case we will have neither. We will we will we will destabilize the climate, and uh, and we will we will then we will no longer have a functioning economy as well. All right. I think we're uh, down to the last minute. Uh, but what I would like to say, uh, first of all, is thank you uh, as usual for uh, Kevin for your thoughts uh, as the sort of voice of sanity. Uh, I think we need to. <clears throat> there is a lot of opportunities to make a lot of good changes, but we can't sort of sit back and just expect them to sort of happen. And I think uh, Kevin's analysis of where we sit is fair. Uh, and I think there's proper response to Kevin's points is to do better, try harder, uh, talk to more people. Um, the force and the will is there. And with that, we will lead out on Stefan's fabulous hashtag. If you haven't already, do it right now. Tweet at Elizabeth May, hashtag May the Force. And thank her for taking serious time out of her day to do serious work for us as Canadians. Thank you very much. That's all we have time for this week's edition of The Green Majority. Stay cool, everybody. We'll see you next week. 